You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. The pre-dawn morning twilight. I think these are the most tender and fragile hours of the entire day. And it was at this hour that the women made their tired journey to the garden tomb to anoint the body of their Lord, their dead Lord. This is the man that was declared to be God's own son with a loud voice from heaven. This is the man that angels announced, the whole host of heaven announced him above Bethlehem as they filled the sky with their glory. They watched this man die. They watched as he suffered the agony of the cross. Their hope was dashed. Their faith was ruined. If this man was truly the Son of God, then how is it that the sun could continue to rise? Could it rise without its Creator? And so with whispers and hushed tones, They slowly processed to the tomb as the light on the horizon condented against the blackness of the night. They were saying to one another, who would roll away the stone? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Dear saints, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, everything is suddenly flipped on its head. The old way of things, the way of death, The way of the grave, the way of decay, has given way to the brightness and the glory of resurrected light. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the crucified one, has risen. He is risen indeed Alleluia. Now the glad tidings that the heavenly herald proclaimed to the women went right over their heads. In trembling astonishment, they fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now ask yourselves this question, who wouldn't be afraid? Who has the power to overcome the dominion of the grave? Who can hold in his hands both the keys of life and death? No man in the history of the world has overcome the shadow of death, but this man is Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father this incredible authority 
This authority over death and life is exactly what filled the women's hearts with fear that Easter morning. They stumbled into this new and glorious realm of a Lord who by his own death had broken the chains of death, the same chains that had bound every single creature that draws breath. And such a thing the world had never seen. So, dear saints, this is the very first thing we will consider this morning. The fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. It cannot be denied. When the, women, when the women's eyes searched out the tomb, they did not see the body of their Lord. And even if the women's eyes had searched all of the earth and all of the heaven, they still would not find him, and neither would you. Now, as much as the world mocks Christians for their faith in the Holy Scriptures, still this one thing cannot be denied. The tomb is empty. Not one skeptic has found the remains of Jesus. They're missing. And this is against the best efforts of the Jews to secure the tomb, to put a guard outside of it. And this is despite the wild tales that they told the disciples had come to take away the body of Jesus. Ha! It's it's totally absurd. The disciples were cowards. When Jesus was captured on Holy Thursday, what did they do? They scattered. They locked themselves behind closed doors. They were afraid of dying with their teacher. Inasmuch as Jesus' trial and crucifixion are a firm historical fact, so also is the cowardice of his disciples. And so also consider all of the chaotic reports that you read about in the Holy Scriptures that talk about Jesus' resurrection. Now, I think that if I were to come up with a a tale about my Lord's resurrection, I would talk to all of the so-called witnesses to make sure we all had our our facts straight, all all the stories sounding about the same. But that's not the way of the Gospels. It's like when you read the different accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like you're reading the different affidavits that you would pick up and read when, when someone had witnessed a car crash, let's say. Things are going crazy. People are running every which way. How many angels were there? Were there two? Were there one? How many did you see? And so on. And so what the rest of the world takes as weakness, namely the apparent confusion between the gospel witnesses, you ought to take this as greater evidence that these are actually eyewitness reports. Their lack of tidiness is exactly what you would expect from such a thing. Now, dear saints, this isn't to say that you can't piece back together the gospel accounts to get a good and clear picture of what happened that morning. The Holy Spirit is no slouch, nor does he expect you to be lazy when you read the gospel stories. But here's the thing. The mere fact of the resurrection isn't going to save anyone. And yes, I mean to say that. That's not how Jesus wants to be known, by sort of this bare apprehension of the historical fact. Indeed, Jesus does not walk around in his resurrected flesh so people could come up and grab him. Jesus desires that his victory over the grave is grasped by faith which is delivered through his word. He wants you to have a soothed conscience with the preaching that he has atoned for your iniquity 
and he lives to give you new life. He wants you to be a member of his kingdom of grace, one of the faithful baptized. And this is why it's significant that when the women came to the tomb that morning, they did not see Jesus. Instead, what happened? Who did they see? They found a messenger. Someone who delivered to them the sweet gospel of Jesus' victory over death. The reason why they fled in fear is because they feared the event itself and they stopped up their ears so they wouldn't hear the good news that was being preached to them. Indeed, it wasn't until after Jesus had caught them mid-flight to deliver yet another sermon to them that they finally remembered, oh yes, the angel said that we should, we should go tell the disciples. You learn about that in Matthew's Gospel, by the way. And so we ought to take a closer look at the angel's sermon to see why it is so comforting for us. First, he says, do not be alarmed. He preaches against the weakness of their flesh. The weakness of their flesh that tells them that the only appropriate response to realizing that the Lord that had been put to death is now alive again is to run away in fear. They perceived Jesus as an avenging judge who would come to make right all that had gone wrong, who would visit the sins upon those who had forsaken him. And indeed, they too, as everybody else during the crucifixion, had forsaken their Lord. And so at this moment, they had ears only for the law and its accusation that no one is sinless. No one is sinless. And yet the angel says to them, Do not be alarmed. And here's why. The angel says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Now, dear saints, if you remember nothing else from this sermon this morning, I want you to remember this. That the angel calls Jesus the one who was crucified. And indeed, if we were to better translate it from the Greek, it would be the crucified one. That is, he is the crucified. It's not something, it's not something that's long gone in the past. Jesus' resurrection does not undo his suffering. It doesn't undo the scourges, the mockery, and the cross. You know, it's not like a video game where when you come back to life, you go back to your last save point. It's not like that at all. I mean, the marks on his hands and his feet remain. The place where his, the spear was thrust into his side, it still gapes open. These are the tokens of God's wrath. These are the proof that your guilt has been taken off of you and then placed onto another. When Jesus cried out from the cross... It is finished. He meant it. And so, dear saints, this is the very, very best thing that I can tell you today. That the sacrifice for sin is complete, not taken away. And this sacrificial victim is now risen. When St. Paul told the saints at Corinth that he decided to know nothing among them but Christ and Him crucified, he was telling them that they were forgiven. And at peace with God. And so I tell you, you are forgiven and reconciled with your heavenly Father through your crucified and risen Savior who advocates for you at the Father's right hand with the wounds that still mark His feet 
his side, and his hands. There is no more guilt or wrath. Only life. The angel next says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Just as he told you. Jesus promised that this would happen. Jesus said the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. He said this to his disciples. They didn't believe him. They didn't listen to him. Jesus said exactly what would happen, but nevertheless, they fled. They were afraid. And now to these cowards, to these unfaithful men, is given an invitation to meet their Lord that they had forsaken in Galilee. Especially is this given to Peter, the man who had denied Jesus three times. It's as Jesus himself said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Nowhere else in the world are you going to hear this preaching of forgiveness and life. It's found only here in the Holy Christian Church, at pulpits, altars, and baptismal fonts that give you the fruits of Jesus' death and resurrection. In the world, you'll find a kingdom of darkness that's held together by fear and the lies of Satan and his demons. They despise God's word and they teach others to do the same. They've worked together for themselves a culture that worships and is obsessed with death. The resounding liturgy trumpets the virtues of oblivion and the destruction of all the things that God has created and calls good. It calls abortion a treatment for a condition. It craves sex separated from the God-given purpose of creating life. It preaches a false gospel of dignified death that seeks to end the lives of the weak, the aged, and the suffering, the very lambs that Jesus wants to bless with life and to bring into his kingdom of grace. Rage all they want. They cannot undo the crucified's resurrection. And so behold the empty tomb, dear saints. The devil's kingdom is bursting apart at the seams. Death and life have contended, and the prince of life who died reigns immortal. Destroying sin, he took the crown from death's pale brow. And stripped of its power, it reigns no more. Its sting is lost forever. The light of life has broken upon you. For Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.